I was a young boy. I'm not sure exactly what my age was at the time. I'm going to say it was 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that, in that range. And we lived, at the time, we lived in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. We lived in a, in a house that I grew up in all my life. And we had this driveway that kind of wrapped around the back of the house. The house set down off of the road. And so you kind of you exited, you know, kind of went on the driveway and then you went down the hill and then the driveway disappeared behind the house. And what you didn't see from the road is that the driveway, there was, it was a pretty large driveway area. And there was one part of the driveway, there was a, there was a carport for two cars and then there was a garage, but the garage, we didn't really pull a car in the garage, but right beside the garage where you could park another car was a brick wall, you know, the, the brick wall of the house, basically the brick of the house. And there were no windows there. Um, it was just solid brick and it was great. And I used it all the time to throw a tennis ball or when I was playing baseball when I was growing up, if I wanted to throw a ball against the wall for whatever reason, I used to use that wall every day of the week, it seemed like. The problem sometimes is that a car was parked there. And so I needed to move the car to get it out of the way so that I could you know, throw the ball up against the wall. Now. A couple of times, what I did is I figured out, I think maybe, I, I'm not sure how I figured it out, maybe my brother showed me, but you could go to the car, uh, you know, this is back in the day, kind of date myself, we didn't lock our cars, uh, half the time the windows were down, and, and this will really date me, you didn't need a key to move the car, the, the, the shift, you didn't need a key to move it into neutral. So, you know, now you have to turn the key and then you can pull it down into neutral or whatever. But the, the, the gear to shift it, you know, it was an automatic, but the gear to do that was on the steering wheel. It wasn't in the floorboard like it is today. I know, I'm, I'm dating myself. So he showed me, you know, we could pull it into neutral and because the driveway was really flat at that area, that place, once you pulled in the neutral, you could get out, close the door, and then gradually push the car back. You know, just kind of push it out of the way, uh, you know, and then get back in the car, put it in park, do what we needed to do, you know, throwing the ball against the wall or whatever. And, um, and then when we finished, we could push the car back up next to the house. So, love that, you know, it's kind of an easy solution. Well, my mom and dad, heard about it or, or maybe I can't remember maybe they came home one day and they saw the car pushed back and they're like what in the world are you guys doing so we explained it to them we thought we were clever and so they sort of smiled and said my brother was six years older than me so they they smiled and said hey that's okay and they were looking at me they because I was the youngest they said that's okay but don't ever do that without somebody being here in other words, that could be dangerous. Don't ever do it unless you, you know, call one of us out to, to watch you uh, and, and to, you know, just to make sure everything's okay. And, and I can't remember, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have allowed my brother to be out there, um, you know, kind of to, to, to supervise. So 
Uh, I got it. I understood. The instructions were clear. However, there was this one particular day, and I, for whatever reason, I think my brother was either busy, he was inside, he, he, you know, he didn't want to mess with me, or he wasn't at home. I'm not, I'm not real sure. And so I thought, I've done this now. You know, by this time, I'd done it several times. So it seemed pretty simple. Everything always goes the exact same way. I don't need my brother to physically help me push the car. I was able to sort of ease the car. So why can't I do it myself? I mean, why can't I just get in the car, pull the shifter down to neutral, ease it back, throw the ball against the wall, put the car back in neutral, push it slowly back into its spot, nobody would ever know. So I got in the car, I put it in neutral, I got out, I started pushing, and the rest of that story in just a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Discover Blind Spots podcast, where we believe what you don't see can actually hurt you. This is episode number 25, so we're a quarter of the way to 100. Uh, it's hard to believe when we started out with episode one a little over a year ago, so we're starting to have an episode a week, and uh, it's a lot of work, but <laughs> it's fun to do, and we're now at episode 25. We're in the middle of this series that I'm uh, just this kind of podcast series, and I'm calling it Leadership Fruits, and we're we're really coining that. That is coming out of Galatians chapter five. If if you know anything about Scripture, Galatians chapter five is talking about a list of fruits, which are really character values, and those fruits uh, here they are. There are nine of them: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And so, so far, up until this week, we've completed love and joy and peace, patience and kindness. This week, we're talking about goodness. And I always reference this, you know, I, I, I'm kind of calling it leadership fruits uh, because I want to talk about, we're sort of trying to look at how, how do these character traits of these fruits, how can they manifest themselves? How can they start to grow in our leadership? In our leadership, you know, probably the most obvious place we think about is in the marketplace, but, you know, maybe our leadership at home or leadership in other areas. But how can these fruits grow? And so today we're going to talk about this fruit of goodness. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> what does goodness mean? Well, here's one thing to remember. See, goodness is hard to see at times. You know, it, it's, it's hard to get your hands around the idea of goodness. You know, why is that? Because goodness, I believe, and I think I'll demonstrate this in this podcast, goodness resides deep within our soul. It's who we are. It's a big part of our character. If we have goodness inside of us, it influences our actions. It defines who we are. Now, the fruit 
that people would see would be the actions we take, maybe the kindness, the the you know the 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 actions we take with our team and how we interact with them. But where that comes from is a deep place inside our soul. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is this, is you could say, oh, well, I could have goodness. Let me just make a list of good, good deeds that I could do. Well, that might work for a short period of time, but I promise you if it doesn't come from a, a deep place of goodness, particularly as we define it later in this podcast, you'll run out of gas. So um, let me get back to the rest of my story where I was moving the car. As you, as you recall, I'm in the car now. I, I just got out. Actually, I'd put the car in neutral, decided to do this by myself. I've you know done it with my brother or my parents out there before. I mean, it's not a big deal. And so I get out, I close the door, and I start pushing. And I guess for whatever reason, I had eaten my Wheaties before that particular time. And so I pushed a little bit harder than I normally did. And before I knew it, the car started moving and continued to move and continued to move until it rolled off the driveway which then was into our yard, which was a little bit downhill from the driveway. So it gathered some momentum and it moved out into the yard and ran into, this will really date me, but it ran into our clothesline. Now, what's a clothesline? Clothesline, this metal pole that's outside. And back in the day, you didn't use dryers all the time. You spent a lot of times you dried your clothes by hanging them outside and letting them dry on their own. So it was this big metal pole um, that was connected by these wires that you hung your clothes on. This particular day didn't have any clothes on it, but the car, uh, just like a magnet, it, it, you know, it didn't go under the, those little thin wires. It went right into the pole of the clothesline dinged uh, the back of the car, could have put a dent in it in the you know trunk of the car, the bumper there, whatever. And needless to say, because it was now down in the yard um, and downhill, it was impossible for me to push it back up and get it in place and hope that mom and dad thought that somebody else had bumped into them and I could remain anonymous and get out scot-free and I remember um, the feeling of, of first of all being afraid um, I could see my mom and dad you know their voices saying don't ever do this because something could happen and of course at that age you know I knew it all and it was like you guys have no idea I mean there's no way anything bad could happen but I think back in the day the thing that bothered me the most is I, I felt like I had disappointed my parents. They had entrusted me. They had given me kind of clear instructions, clear parameters, clear guidelines, and I had disappointed them. And I definitely did not feel good. <laughs> In other words, I felt like I didn't have any goodness inside of me at all. And to the point that, 
I I know after that, and then I'll reference this later in the podcast. But after that, I began to think, what can I do to earn, you know, their trust again? What can I what can I do to get in their good graces? What can I do to to make sure that you know they they you know they're they're not mad at me that they forgive me? How can I make sure I get their uh, forgiveness? You know, in today's world, the lines of goodness are becoming blurred, aren't they? There used to be this moral compass that was clear, uh, but more and more we're finding that those lines are not as clear as they once were. I can sum it up in two two questions in regards to goodness. If you're wondering about, you know, what is goodness? What's that all about? Do I have goodness inside of me? Here are two questions. Number one, does your outside match up with your inside? Number one, does your outside match up with your inside? Number two, are you the same person when no one is watching? Here's another way to ask that question. Do you still do the right thing even when no one is watching? I failed the answer to that question for me would have been no, because when nobody was watching that day, I didn't do the right thing. I did the wrong thing. <laughs> I decided I could get away with it and be somebody else other than what I was told uh, to be or do, uh, what I can or cannot do. I decided that I could take matters into my own hands. Now, why is this a big deal? Because you can work your entire life to build your character and it can be ruined with one bad decision. i give you a, a story, an example. Uh, early in my marketplace business when I owned the textile company, um, we had a, uh, we were early on, we were a year maybe or two into the business. We were growing rapidly. We were um, developing our reputation, our brand, but we were also developing a reputation, you know, kind of our character, our reputation, our trust with our vendors. And so because we were growing so rapidly, uh, cash was important and we needed to make sure that our vendors would extend our terms and allow us to, you know, to, to get the product in, sell it, and then basically be able to pay them. And so sometimes even though we were growing really quick, cash could be tight. And so I asked, we had a new controller, um, actually it was our first one that we hired. And I remember one day, um, you know, things were going actually pretty good. In other words, cash was pretty good. And I remember I said to him, we doing okay. And he said, absolutely. Everything's great. And I said, so are, are we good with all our vendors and everything? Everybody in good shape. You're, you know, we're paying them on time and so forth. And he said, yeah, we're, we're doing good. He said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm paying those that need to be paid, and then I can stretch those that I know I can stretch. And I remember I took a double take, and I looked at him, and I said, what do you mean, stretch them? And he said, well, there's some, you know, that I can just, I can stretch them. Even though it's 30 days, I know they'll let me go 60 days or, or whatever. I'll at least stretch them until they, you know, email me and say, hey, we need payment. And I said, hold, hold on a minute do we have the money to pay them? And he said, well, yeah, we do. But, you know, you can always stretch people. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I have been busting my tail to develop my financial reputation 
in this company. And I've spent, you know, at that point, I'd spent two years trying to build that. And I said, you're going to destroy it overnight if you keep this up. Make sure people get paid. Let me give you another example. So let's say you meet someone that's you know, maybe famous or somebody that you've, you've noticed or followed at a distance. You know, you've kind of seen their public persona um, and you really love them. You follow them. You're intrigued by them. Maybe you follow them on social media or you follow them online or, or whatever, whatever that is. You know, you've watched them at a conference or something like that. But then when you met them, your whole impression of them was changed for the worse, not the better. Sometimes you meet them and your impression is like, holy cow, didn't expect them to be that nice. But oftentimes you find out that who they are on that stage is radically different than who they are in person. I had that example to me. I, uh, 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 that happened to me. Here's an example. I had this leader that I followed and I... Uh, had watched them, watched videos of them. I've gone to conferences where they were the keynote um, and so forth and, and just w admired who they were. I just admired their leadership and, and thought, wow, I mean, just almost in awe. And then finally at the end of this conference one time, uh, someone said, hey, this particular person is down front. He's kind of shaking hands and, and so forth. It didn't look like there was a big crowd. So I thought, I think I'm going to go meet them. I think I'm going to go over and, and shake their hand and tell them how influential they've been in my life and just share that with them. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to get the nerve to, to do that. This is, gosh, just a long, long time ago. And so I stood in line. I got to that point. You know, I rehearsed what I was going to say. When I got up to that particular leader, I took, you know, kind of put my hand out, shook their hand, and started describing you know, this thing of how I love their leadership and I, how it made such a difference. And I described a little bit of my life and what they had, had done and, and so forth. And I looked at them. Yeah, you know, I was kind of talking and I looked at them and I could tell they weren't paying attention to me at all. I mean, no emotion, almost like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just nothing. So I walked away totally dejected. Because it ruined my image of them. And in fact, to be honest with you, sometimes now, if somebody says, you know, hey, you want a chance to meet so-and-so? I'm like, I don't know if I do or not. <laughs> because what I, what I have perceived of who they are and what they actually are might be uh, two different people. Here's another example. Let's say you work with someone on your team. And then one day when things get tough, you find... Uh, you find out that they desert you. Uh, the person you thought they were is not who they really are. Here's something I want you to, to know. If you're a leader and you do that to somebody else, it is very hard to recover in a relationship when that happens. Right? Very, very hard. And if you're a leader who does that, where you've, you know, you've kind of indicated that you're, you're for the team or you're for this person, and then all of a sudden when it comes down to uh, you know, a decision or something, it looks like you've thrown them under the bus or you didn't stand by them, it is, it is almost 100% your responsibility to fix that issue with that person. 
You know, it's it's at least 95% because it's it's really, really hard when you're on the receiving end of that to just wake up and act like everything is okay. That's why in our leadership, we need to make sure our outside matches our inside. Our team that we either manage or serve on needs to know that we are the same person in the light as well as in the dark. They need to know that we will have their back and follow through with what we promised to do. Let me kind of shift gears here and let me give you an example that I want to I leave you with an application of, of kind of, okay, what does goodness look like? I mean, I've, I've given you a couple of questions to, to, to ask yourself, but, but let's talk a little bit about this value, this characteristic, this value of goodness. And let's dive in. If we said, what is goodness? In other words, what, what is it? I want to I use a scripture, and, and if you're not a you know, Bible reader or a believer or any, any of that, if you're, if, you're not, if you're not a scripture person, just hang with me uh, because I'm not going to, I just want you to, I want you to listen. This is great practical leadership advice. And, and so if you'll just hang with me, I think you, you'll realize you can't disagree with the advice that this particular passage gives us. It's found in Micah, M-I-C-A-H, Micah chapter 6. It's in the, Micah is a prophet, is in the Old Testament. Um, he was known as a prophet. He was known for calling out those um, whose outside didn't match up with their inside, kind of calling out hypocrisy, calling out dysfunction. That was, that was kind of his claim to fame, so to speak, as, as a prophet. prophet. And the group that, he, that, is, that he's dealing with, they're trying to find out how to get back into God's good graces. They haven't actually you know, been one of those people where their actions lined up with their words, and so now they're trying to say, hey, how do we get back into God's good graces? And they want to know that their thought is, I mean, you know, sometimes things don't change, right? I mean, thousands of years, their, their strategy was, hey, Micah, can you tell us what kind of gifts that we need to bring to God? You know, these sacrifices kind of, what's the best kind of gifts that'll close that gap pretty quickly? You know, kind of like the husband coming home, you know, with flowers uh, after he screws up. In other words, it's not just, don't just come home with flowers you picked out of some field, you know, come home with some really nice flowers. I mean, look like you paid a lot of money for them. I mean, look, make sure they're fresh and, you know, look like you did, you know, you really worked at it. I mean, don't pick a bunch of weeds uh, based, you know, based on a, just you happen to drive by this empty field. Oh, there's some, you know, wildflowers. Let me just grab, grab one of those. So what kind of gifts should we give in order to get back into God's good graces? I'm sure I tried to do that, as I mentioned, with my mom and dad after crashing the car. I was probably brainstorming. You know, what can I do? You know, what kind of, you know, can I, can I make my bed? Can I, you know, bring them their, you know, their supper? Can I empty the trash? Can I, what, what can I do to make sure I get back in their good graces? So they kept asking Micah, 
you know, hey, how can we sort of, in essence, here's what they were saying. How can we butter up God, you know? <laughs> how, how, can we, how can we bring these gifts to kind of butter him up? And finally, Micah gives them three things. And here they are. We're going to run through them real quickly. He says, number one, do what is right. Number two, love mercy. And number three, walk humbly. That's what he says. Do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly. So in the few minutes we got left, I want to run through these really quick. Number one, do what is right. So what does that, what does that mean? Do what is right. What does that mean? You know what it means? Do what is right. Can we admit that we all really do kind of know the difference between right and wrong? I mean, I've kind of alluded to that earlier in the podcast. I mean, can, can we admit that even though those lines appear to be blurred in our culture today, I mean, if we really carve away the layers, we talk about that with blind spots, if we carve away the layers, I mean, can't we admit that we really do uh, understand what's right and wrong? When we're born as an infant, as we grow up, we develop this sense. Uh, there's this inward sense of us, this moral compass within us that tells us really what is right and what is wrong. Recently, I had a, a, a great customer of mine. I mean, just a tremendous customer that I have. And I've loved developing a relationship not only with him, um, with him, but his team. And I, we had talked early. Uh, we were working on a project, and then we were uh, going to do a side project. And, and he called me to say, hey, I, I kind of want you to do something over here, but I realize that's not part of the first contract. And so, um, you know, can we... Can we talk about that? You know, and I want to make sure that I pay you for that and so forth. And I said to him early on, I said, uh, this is part of a, a podcast I did earlier talking about being generous. I just said, hey, you know what? Let's just let's just do what you need. We'll figure out, you know, payment and what it looks like and all that stuff down the road. You know, let's just let's just do that. So we did. We did a lot, you know, did a decent amount of work and stuff. And I and I loved what I was doing and I loved the team that I was working with on this kind of second project. So it wasn't anything draining for me. But at the end of that, he called me and he said, listen, I want to talk to you about something. He said, you need to send us an invoice because I never want you to think that we took advantage of you or that we're taking advantage of you by asking you to do something outside the parameters you know, of our contract. And I, I told him, I said, listen, that's the last thing I would worry about with you and you know why because his mouth always lines up with his words <laughs> he's someone that i have great respect for he's someone that i trust he's someone that i love working with and would always do something for him on the side if he needed me or something extra that wasn't a part of the contract because i know that at the end of the day we'll figure out what the right thing is to do. And we did. We had a great conversation about that, and we figured it out. But I, but I love that about his character. So, as I said, I mean, let's be honest. Today's world, we know the difference between right and wrong. I mean, we know that something stirs inside of us that tells us attention, perhaps, that makes us feel a certain way if we're starting to step in a wrong direction. The problem is, is that we, as a culture, we've just become uh, very, very good at ignoring it. 
We need to learn to be the same in the light as well as the dark. When my father passed away when I was 30 years old, he was a man that I had deep respect for. He was the, the most honest, trustworthy man of his word of anybody that I've ever known. And when he passed away at his funeral, he owned a business. He had employees that worked with him for many, many, many years. At his funeral, probably the biggest compliment that I received or that he could have received, but, but it was a compliment, just I was so proud of my dad, is that his employees came up. And you know what? They didn't say, you know, he was the best you know, boss I ever had. He was, you know, he was my good buddy. He was, uh, you know, he, he joked around with us all the time. He didn't make us work too hard. Um, you know, all those things. It, it wasn't that. I mean, he was good friends with a lot of them. But this is one thing that's, that was said over and over. People walked up and said he was the fairest man I've ever worked for. He was the fairest man I ever worked for. And I don't think you could ask for anything other than that. I mean, sure, that meant there were times that he had to be firm and there were times that he could be, you know, kind of lighthearted with them and have fun, but, but he still had to run the business. But they never, ever um, experienced him saying one thing, living one way in the light and doing something different in the dark. He did what was right. Number two, love mercy. Well, we love receiving mercy, but we struggle to give mercy, don't we? The definition of mercy, uh, let me, this is fascinating to me. The definition is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So the, the sentence I want to uh, kind of uh, highlight here is three words, within one's power. Words, you have the power to harm someone. You might even have the justification to harm someone. But you know what you do? You have the ability to put the power stick down. If you're going to grow the fruit of goodness in your life, you have to have compassion and forgiveness, which in essence is the ability to demonstrate mercy. Did you ever think that providing mercy for someone might be more about your growth than the benefit it provides for someone else? Let, let me explain. For example, can you provide mercy to someone without telling everybody about it? You know, hey, Joe was in trouble over here, but don't worry, I let him off the hook. Or as you tell everybody about the good deed you did. Number two, can can you do it without regrets? You know, I, hey, I'm forgiving them, I'm providing mercy, but that really ticks me off at what they did. And then you're continuing to talk about it. You know, I can't believe I let them off the hook. Can you do it without conditions? You know, hey, Joe, I'm going to... I'm going to let you out of this one, but let me just tell you, these are the four things that, that I need you to do from me from this point on. Do, does, your, does your mercy have these conditions that are tied to it? And then next, can you do it without second guesses? You know, I, I forgave them, but I probably shouldn't have. You know, 
I, I, I let them off the hook, but you know, next time I'm not going to do that because I just I probably shouldn't have done it. Made the wrong decision. If you can do those things, if you can say yes to those, then you probably have the leadership fruit of goodness. Then last, what Micah says is that we need to be able to walk humbly. And this one, I believe, is huge. I've seen the opposite of humility absolutely ruin leaders. In fact, I would almost say that every leadership uh, fall that we see, there's, there's somehow a lack of humility that has, has played into that. And, and the lack of humility is really the, the, the character trait of arrogance and entitlement, and those two traits will eventually destroy anybody, but it will certainly destroy a leader. Publicly, it's all about the team, but privately, it's all about them. Publicly, leaders who uh, can't walk humbly, leaders who have arrogance and entitlement, publicly, they use words like, oh, it doesn't matter to me, oh, what? Why don't you decide? It's okay. Or I, I'm absolutely, I'm great with that decision. No, I trust you. You need to make the decision. But privately, privately, they're manipulating a different direction. When a leader does that to you, when you're on the receiving end of that, it feels like you're walking out on a plank, you know, like on a ship. You're walking out on a plank for them and they chop it off. It's very, very hard to recover from that. And uh, uh, living a, a, a life without humility, living a life as a leader, leading a team without a good dose of humility will destroy your leadership quicker than anything. Why? Again, because your outside doesn't match up with your inside. And when that happens... You lose trust with your team. So when you think about the leadership fruit of goodness, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Do I do what is right even when nobody is watching? Do I do what is right even when no one is watching? Do I move the car when no one's here? Or do I wait until somebody gets home like I was instructed to? Here's another thing. Do I lay down my power stick and offer mercy when it's appropriate? Or am I quick to knock heads, yell, scream? Or another way of putting it, am I always trying to keep score? You, you know those people, right? Always trying to keep score. You know what that means? You love judgment way more than you love mercy. And here's the thing, you know, as I said, we, we love receiving mercy, but sometimes as leaders, we forget to give mercy. And then finally, do I demonstrate authenticity and humility with my team? Can they count on me to be for, F-O-R, to be for them? Even if I have to call out an issue, you know, it, it, being for them doesn't mean to agree with them all the time, doesn't mean to be soft as a leader on them all the time. 
But but even if I have to call out an, call out an issue, can I walk away and they know they still know without without one hesitant feeling, they still know that I am for them. All right, you got it. That's goodness. And next week we're going to talk about gentleness. See you next time.